Welcome to a special episode of the Practical Operations Podcast. I'm Brennan Diesendorf. I'm Ken Mink. I'm Jack Neely. And I'm Ashi Shah. We are here to talk about the practical side of operations work. This week, we're talking about how to transition a workforce to remote work quickly. To help us with this, we have a special guest, Ashi Sheth, the Senior Manager leading Global End User Services at LinkedIn. We would like to thank 42 Lines for sponsoring this episode. 42 Lines is a DevOps consulting firm specializing in observability, cloud migrations, reliability, cost control, security practices, and team mentoring. The industry is moving fast. Make the right moves with the experience of 42lines.net. So, Ashi, how is life in the time of quarantine for you? Uh, it's been a joy. It's finally now reaching a point where things are a little bit more of a steady roar instead of the constant firefighting, which it was for us for the first couple of weeks of March, but it's getting better. Excellent. So how big is your org? You're, you're at LinkedIn, obviously, um, but how many people do you support? How many people do you oversee? Like, what's the, what's the size and the shape of this beast? Sure. Uh, LinkedIn as a whole has about 20,000, a little bit over 20,000 employees across the globe. We've got between 35 and 40, I lost track at the recent count, uh, offices globally. Uh, in my org, uh, which is end user services, we have roughly about 150 contingent workers as well as about another 25 to 30 uh, full-time employees. Excellent. Um... So I imagine that when the whole lockdown stuff started, it happened pretty quick for you, just like it did for us. Yeah. The way that it started for us was it was in various ways. So in January, our Beijing and Singapore offices had started going through their closed down period as, as both of those uh, nations made decisions around how they wanted to go. Singapore had actually opened back up by the middle of February, but with uh, a limited interaction, like there, there was going to be phased employee arrivals, that sort of thing. Uh, no more than five people inside of a room at any given time. A, a lot of rec recommended processes around, around how to return. Uh, even with all of that, we saw that there wasn't very many people showing. It was still voluntary. Uh, when California, which is our headquarters, uh, started going into some of their uh, work from home recommendations and shelter in place recommendations uh the first and second week of march it went from a week where we were trying to limit the number of people that would be coming into the office to the next week where it was yep just work from home and do everything from there so it was uh it was pretty big deal uh it was we have about in the san francisco bay area we have around eight thousand employees uh, between San Francisco and uh, Sunnyvale. So, and that's also our biggest engineering location as well. So we, we ended up having to do quite a bit of work of trying to shift from recommended to required and just trying to make it as, as fluid as possible. And then over the course of the next week and a half, we saw the rest of North America also go through the same, same process. And then the week after that was uh, Europe and Middle East. So it was just this rolling cycle for from about the, the last week of February through probably like the third or fourth week of March. Yeah, that squares up pretty closely to what I saw. I'm, I'm working for Sysdig now, and I'm a remote employee entirely, but there's a Raleigh office that is, that is close by to me. Mm -hmm. And it went from business as usual, everybody's coming to the office, who works in the office, to hey, so the building management company that we use, one of their employees works in a building as well that has an employee that tested positive. So we probably should start not coming to, no, stay home. We we are Correct. 
canceling all access if you don't need it. Um, you can't get into the front door of the building without a badge now, like at all, before you can get to the elevator yep. banks to get up to our offices within the building. Yep. So it, it was a, a rather rapid um, shutdown, and I I totally get it. Um, thankfully, it same here. It seems to be working. I know you guys got hit a little harder than North Carolina did, but we got spared the heaviest blow of it so far, which is, you know, knock on wood. Yeah. We'll be good. Yeah, it's uh, it's fortunate so far. Like, there, there's definitely a lot of uh, illness spreading. So we've been doing work from home for a long time, Jack and, and Ken and I, because we've been working for a company. I, I was working with them at 42 Lines for a long time, and the company's entirely remote, so there was no option of going to an office, really. But for a lot of people, this is a huge shift, and I can kind of watch it happen to other people around me, but what's it like for, like, you were primarily an office-going employee, right? Correct. What's it like trying to manage an organization, suddenly everybody's working remote and everything's completely different? It uh, it drives you a little batty, truthfully. Uh, the first steps of it, um, it, within LinkedIn, globally previously, there was probably between 5 and 10% of the population that would be work from home anyway. Uh, a couple of people in peer teams of mine I, I interact with very heavily primarily work from home. But what was weird about this was like just a fast transition that had to happen uh, where most people wouldn't have had things set up at the house. Uh, for myself, you know, I have, I, I'd set up a little office uh just because I, I would have calls every night with my Asia Pacific team. And so I set up a space for myself to be able to have those in, in relative privacy and quiet and proper lighting and all that sort of stuff. Uh, but being in that 12, 14, 18 hours a day has been a, a real shift for, for myself, for sure. Uh, I have a newfound respect for those of you who can actually focus and maintain sanity doing this <laughs> full time, like for extended periods of time. The one other time that I had experience uh, being a remote employee was about seven years ago. Uh, I was working for a company that that, uh, that it was based in Baltimore, uh, but I would spend most of my time visiting uh, other locations. So visiting, uh, they owned universities and so I would go visit the, the universities around the, around the world. So I was based out of the house. And after it was fortunate because at least every other week I was traveling. And so I would always get a break uh, from just being in the house all the time. Uh, but then for the last couple of months that I was with that company, it was staying at home. And I, at that point, I thought that I was not cut out for that sort of work. Uh, and I still have a little bit of that feeling, but I've gotten, I, I, I've made my peace with it. And, and I figured out over the course of this last six, seven weeks, how to make this work and how to maintain my own uh, effectiveness. Ken, I know that you also transitioned from primarily office work to primarily work from home a couple of years ago. Um, do you have any other thoughts about that? Like you've you've seen this a while ago in terms of the shift to working from home. Well, I did it in two phases. When I joined 42, I went from being a regular office employee to technically home, but home wasn't very conducive. And I switched to working out of an office in the back of my wife's photography studio, which gave me private space away from the family and everything else. And, it, and I liked it as giving me a really good delineation of I'm going to work. So I had to take a shower and do everything else and go. Yeah. Um, and then she closed her business down and I moved back into the house only six months ago. 
And yeah, it's tough to get the focus and keep the kids out and maintain personal hygiene because you can just walk down the hall and sit down and start working. Uh, yeah. It's been really hard, but you got to get in the groove and get used to it. Um, it's, it also takes a little while for the family to get used to your working, even though you're there. And that's, that's actually been the biggest hurdle is my younger kids leaving me alone. <laughs> mm-hmm. So. Yeah, that that definitely was a huge shift for us. Um, I'm lucky in the sense that I actually have a dedicated space that you have to leave the house, go up a set of stairs, and go back into the house. You can't access it internally. So there is no sort of drop-by visits from the family. Um, and I also keep a, a notebook next to, my, next to my desk. And so I, one of the ways I don't lose focus on Zoom calls that I'm not necessarily needed for is I just take notes of what's happening with pen and paper the entire time. And that keeps me from browsing the email or looking at the web or doing something else and sort of spacing out and then not getting the information I'm supposed to get at a call. Yeah. So I now, strongly recommend, I know it's, it's awful in analog, but just writing it down, you're doing the same thing. There's nothing wrong with analog tools. That's right. There's not. No, it's the same for me. Everything that you both have described, it's all the same. For me, I, I don't have the younger kids. My youngest one is 20. Um, and so for she's able to kind of <laughs> bring the shape in his head now. <laughs> um, she's she's back home. Uh, I, like That is one of the, the, the joy bits that I can talk about, like joy meaning sarcastic joy. Uh, I had to fly to Phoenix uh, three weeks ago, four weeks ago, four weeks ago and uh, pack up her dorm, move her back home, and drive a U-Haul back with her. Uh, in, in, because her school also ended up going the same route. Of, we're going to do everything remotely, effectively shutting down the campus. So it, it is definitely trying to make sure, like finding that space that, that is now the dedicated, this is the, the workspace, um, and closing the door when that's the thing that needed, just to maintain that separation. For, for us, it's more of the dogs running in and out uh, has been the thing. In uh, really, like, thinking about it as we've scaled this out for LinkedIn, that's one of the things that we've been really uh, open and clear about with all of our employees is, like, right now the family is also going to need you. And so there's got to be a good balance between the work that needs to get done, both for LinkedIn, but also, more importantly, the work that needs to be done for you and the family. And making sure that there's a balance to that uh, when kids make random drop-in appearances into conference calls or whatnot, they're welcomed. Like as much as it doesn't, as we try to not make it distract the the intention of whatever the meeting is, we welcome it so that way anybody who has that happen to them, they don't feel the need to immediately like shush the kid or do what whatever else. Um, it's really important to maintain that because we're going to need that sanity and we're going to need that proper balance to to make it through all of this. This is just, nobody's really ever had to experience this, at least not in the last hundred plus years. So uh, trying to figure out all of these little nuances and being flexible and accepting and embracing that we're now seeing other people in their home environment we should respect what that actually looks like. And so we do our best around that. And uh, most people don't have a purpose-built home office that they can they can work out of. This is, a lot of people are, like a lot of people that on calls that I'm on are coming in from their kitchen table or they're coming in from exactly. the back deck or whatever because yeah. that was the place they could get right now and you got to live with it. You got to roll with it and see how it goes. Exactly, yeah. It, it's been, uh, there have been enough 
like my VP when we have our stand-ups, he's doing it from his kitchen table. And every so often, he'll, his eight-year-old or his six-year-old will kind of drop in, want to say hi, and then kind of move his way through, uh, move their way through. And that's okay. Like just seeing it, seeing the, the message set and the example set makes it much easier for everybody else. And so from my perspective, like if my wife happens to be walking by while I'm on a call, I introduce her. I just have her come in and just say hi, just because these people know who I am. I've talked about her plenty of times. They've introduced, they've in- introduced me into their home. Like it's, it's a way of showing, and I hope it kind of presents itself that, yeah, this is all okay. Like we're going to make it through this. We're going to do this by being flexible and, and really hopefully coming out of this a little bit tighter because we know a little bit more about what home looks like for them. The kind of long-term, I can't imagine what the mental health toll on the country is going to be of having people cooped up in whatever else. And I think it's going to have an interesting effect on the relationship people have with their employers. And a lot of those questions that we've been asking for years about, which one of these meetings really needed to happen? Which one of these, why can't I work from home on this day? Why can't this project be done virtually instead of in a conference room? We're going through it. That's going to be a huge thing in the future is the fact that a large portion of our workforce is going to come out of this with a much more work from home mental model and that's going to become a large part of our common workforce after this. At least that's my prediction of the future. My yeah, brother I, works I, for the federal government, and he's working from home, which is a big no-no for them. And it's going to be really interesting if, you know, when this is done, how well did this work? How much money can we save by just not having all those offices? Well, especially at yeah, this point, I think a lot of folks are going to say, hey, we've got the office. But we can. We need to hire more people. We don't have to upgrade the office. I was about to say, like in San Francisco, I know that one of the huge costs of running a business is office space. And if you can say, hey, we're flexible working from home. If you don't want to work in an office or you only want to come into the office one day a week and you know, come in for shared meetings and whatnot, that can be a mm-hmm. huge driver of cost savings. And we'll see how that goes. Yeah, I think that there's two things that will come out. One of them is the cost savings that you just talked about. I think the other thing that it does is it also opens up the, the mindset that your talent doesn't have to be in the city that you happen to have an office. Um, I, I know it, Brendan, you and I, we've had this conversation a few times around uh, if only we could make this work from a remote location, if only this was possible from wherever's the right place for you at a particular time, that would make things work. Uh, and I think that what we're learning is it's not a technology thing, and it's really way more about the perception and the personality aspect of this. And what the last seven weeks for us has taught us is that, yeah, this can work. I mean, there's some choices that we had to make along the way that we'll have to revisit technical choices, things like uh, allowances that we have to put into place for some of our policies and whatnot. But overall, this is absolutely doable. And the, the metrics that we're seeing as far as build and uh, a, a number of releases and that sort of thing are still on par with, with what we had seen while in the office. So if that's the case, we can make a fair amount of sales. We can make you know, a fair amount of builds. We can market. We can, we can hire. We can recruit. What really forces us to look for only inside of the, the cities that we have buildings in? It, it's going to open up a whole new uh, avenue of recruiting i think for companies around the world as they no longer have to look for where they have physical presence 
Now, you worked for Netflix for quite a while, and Netflix famously has had a no work from home policy that they want all their employees in the office all the time because that's how they built their culture. It was a very intentional choice by them. And I'm not mm-hmm. saying it was the right or the wrong choice, but I'm wondering, especially for them, how do they move from everybody comes to the office all the time to nobody can come to the office, figure it out. And yeah. it's a different challenge for them. It, it was a, a slight variance on, on that. There, there wasn't really a policy around no work from home. It was just almost peer pressure. That, that would drive you into the office and, and have you come in. Um, what the expectation was, was that everybody was at least local to the locations that we had offices, which is at the most of the time that I was there was uh, in the San Francisco Bay area and in Los Angeles. And that's really about it. Uh, towards the end, we had a location in Amsterdam, Singapore, and a few other places. But the, in, in talking to my colleagues that are still there and, and kind of touching base with them, it is, it's a similar thing that there's a discovery that's happening as to what does it take? We're a 20,000 ish uh, uh, employee company. Netflix, when I left was about a six or 7,000 person company. When I joined, it was like a 1500 person company. And during that time, we were already starting to see some of this kind of manifest itself is that, you know, two days in the office, three days at home, three days in the office, whatever. Like there was some flexibility that was already coming in because the one thing that Netflix valued above all else was your ability to contribute to what the company was doing. And, and it mattered way more than anything else. Uh, it mattered, mattered way more than your title. It mattered way more than, you know, your location, any of that. It was really about your contribution and the focus on the contribution. That's that's I think probably made it slightly easier for them to now have to transition to to fully work from home. Uh, but it is a shift. Like just thinking about what will it what would it mean for somebody who's been there for two or three years, going into the office, being encouraged to go into the office, and now no, not necessary. Actually, actually, you cannot come to the office. You're you're violating you know either county, state, or city ordinances by coming to the office at this point. Right. Um, in North Carolina, it's a class two misdemeanor now, and the police are writing people tickets for being out for not essential reasons because it's that's how we do this. So, yeah, yeah. I think it's reached that level in San Francisco city proper as well now. Um, so I have one other kind of large, large category question, and that is the logistical you know, process. A lot of people don't have, you know, a setup at home in terms of like another monitor or keyboards or a reasonable chair to sit in and. In the, the initial phase, I imagine, you have to sort of dive into, okay, well, we're going to work from home and it's just going to be whatever it is. Yeah. Um, we on this podcast and at work in the past have long preached getting USB headsets at a minimum just so you have clean audio, you have a mute button, you don't have the, the horrible mic on the laptop that's listening to you type instead of listening to your voice. I imagine for a large organization and if you're running user support stuff, how do you handle that logistical load? Because, I mean, you, you guys are provisioning machines and stuff at, at some level as well, right? Correct. Uh, so what we did, uh, we did a few things. Uh, first off, for like the accessories as a company, uh, LinkedIn did provide, and different regions had different versions of this, but broadly, uh, we provided a certain dollar value where you can use that to get uh, like chairs, desks, setups, whatever it might be. Uh, we also provided most of our offices, most of our regions and most of our offices, 
the ability to place an order through my team to get a 20, uh, the basic 27-inch monitor that we would normally put on their desk to be able to have one shipped to their home. So what that turned into was basically a, a global procurement uh, hide-and-seek to try and figure out where can we get all of this uh, all of these uh, models and in quantity to cover what we needed. Um, in some of the in some of the regions, we had to end up choosing alternative models because we couldn't get the ones that we needed. Uh, but largely, we were able to make it available. India is our biggest issue right now because right about the time that we were able to start uh, getting vendors set aside and have the stock available, uh, India went into a nationwide lockdown. And so not even courier services were available. Yeah, so their lockdown was so very comprehensive. They were absolutely. strong on it for very good reasons. Yeah. yeah. And so they're still undergoing it right now. I think the, the, la the latest date that I heard is that it's going to be, I want to say it's May 6th might be when, when it opens back up. Uh, or it might be the week after that, actually. Um, but there are some possible allowances that may be changed. So courier services may be changing uh, over the course of the next couple of weeks. So we're waiting on that. Uh, so that between the the ability to order a monitor or expense it in some re, in some specific locations, uh, this allowance in order to be able to get a desk set up, uh, and then also there's another allowance to take care of things like keyboards, mice, other little minor things that you might need as well to help set up the, the office for you. That helped. That, that it, it didn't make things great, but it did help. Uh, as it related to new hires, new hires are the, really the, the most challenging part of all of this for us. Uh, typically, what we do is uh, in North America, it's every uh, in Sunnyvale, and it's uh, every Monday. Uh, we would have north of 70, 80, 100 uh, new employees joining the company. Rest of world, we uh, it would be every other week, and we would see on average probably about thousand a month is like the overall uh hiring plan that's a lot of people. it's quite a bit it's a lot of people and day one is when you get your laptop and you get a full day in in sunnyvale it's one full day in europe it's two days because you have uh not we do all of it in dublin ireland but you'd have the the distinction between which teams are you part of doing day two so what what we ended up having to do now is uh, because of the way that we image our machines, we could actually only send out Macs. So that was the first issue that we had to deal with. Is we could no longer send Windows machines out. Hang on. Isn't LinkedIn owned by Microsoft? It is. Yeah. Okay. It Just is. checking. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, we're, we, we have a fair number of people who definitely prefer running on Mac. Uh, and then there are some teams whose products only work on Windows. Uh, so we have to make allowances for that. So what we ended up doing was we would ship them a Mac directly from the vendor, ship it to them, do remote deployment to that Mac, and then give them access to a VDI, a Windows VDI. So that way they can access the tools that they would need in order to be productive. Now, the first few weeks, uh, we actually made a conscious decision that our primary goal was not actually to get them to be productive right away. It was to just give them a, an onboarding experience that lets them know that even during these crazy times, we care about you as becoming a LinkedIn employee. Like that, that was the more important thing. Now, you know, now we're talking about seven weeks into this. Now we're also trying to see how, what can we do in order to make you actually productive? Because we don't know when this is going to return to anything that looks like normal. So let's try and figure out 
what are the, the choices that we can make? What are the tools that we can make available? So that way you can actually start contributing back and feel like you're contributing, which is at this point more important than, um, than just having the, the comfort of a job. It's the feeling that you're actually participating in, in, in something. I know that pain far too well. Um, I recently started a new, a new job and the onboarding process took some time, you know, not, not for, n nobody's fault there, but one of the clients that I'm helping to support is a investment bank. And so they have a lot of, you know, pro policies and procedures about who can work on things and background checks and whatever else. And none of this is in any way bad. It's, it's honestly good that they do this kind of work. But when you're sitting idle for a while, it feels really weird to, to sit and go, well, I'm not able to contribute. Like I'm, I'm learning about the product. I'm learning about the things that I'm, I'm coming on board, but you always feel like a little bit deficient if you're not doing something. And so I get yeah. that. Yeah, and I think that the other part is, especially during this period, where you can't even be like interacting with folks more directly in order to kind of at least feel like you're joining the club. Not being able to do work, not being able to be productive in what you were hired for, it's a mental uh, uh, backup that you need is to be able to be able to contribute. You need that reinforcement that there is value to you because so much of how we think about ourselves is tied up in our work and in the way that we're uh, considering that, that having missing out on that because you don't have the right tools or you don't have the right access uh, just compounds a lot of the, the, like you described earlier, the mental state of where people will be going through this. Yeah, the, the other part of it is if the team that you're working with that you've just started working for has always been in the office together, and they're not used to using, you know, Slack or HipChat or whatever tool they use for for chat communications as a Microsoft way... Teams. Don't, Micro... don't forget Microsoft Teams. Sorry, sorry, I, I've never actually used it before. Um, <laughs> Something about a Microsoft company. <laughs> Got to remember that. But if you don't set your status, if you don't tell people, "Hey, I'm going to, you know, get a cup of coffee or whatever it is you're doing," the new people are going, "Okay, well, why is the chat channel dead? I'm asking questions and nothing's happening." Like, "Hi, Correct. is Bueller? Is this on?" And exactly, you, you got to work for that. There are some really, really interesting points that come out really about working with the human side of, of who we are as a society and as a culture as we make this transition and keep supporting each other. That's really it, right? I, I think that as we, the thing that I've learned throughout all of this is I have a, a couple of members of my team who are single living in a small one bedroom or maybe even sharing a room inside of an apartment. Those are the people that, that I feel like we need to reach out to because they don't have anything else. Like they don't have interaction. Like the office space is their interaction place. Uh, and if not that, you know, being able to go out, hang out with friends, hang out with family, all of that is currently off the table. How do we make sure that you know, they, they remember that there are others around them that, that are also available to them. A couple of the things that we've looked into, and not looked into, like we are uh, implementing is there are like uh, almost the equivalent of like chat roulette bots that you can put into place inside of Teams and Slack and inside of the various tools that you already have in, in order to make sure that people have the opportunity to meet up with others. That, that random hallway conversation, that random conversation waiting in line at lunch, those end up triggering thoughts, ideas, creative solutions. Um, we've had 
multiple um, hack days since this started. Uh, I think we've at least had two, maybe three, uh, since the beginning of March. And we would typically do about one a quarter, but we've done multiples because it's another avenue of bringing people together. I think that a lot of what's going to change about this is what we touched on earlier, is what's the, the mental state of people going to be going through this and then coming out of it the other side? Uh, it's it's super interesting having when, when I'm on a random uh, call that happens to have somebody who is primarily a remote worker anyway, and it's... I made this mistake in saying, man, it's totally different from there. And the guy was like, I, I don't understand what you mean. Like, this is this is a normal day. Yeah, I'm sitting at my desk. I'm doing my work. But then he also, like, once he got past the opportunity to give me garbage, uh, he also was able to come back and say, here's where it is still different than what it normally was. I can't go outside with the kids anymore. Like, that's not a thing to go out and play in the park. So it is different. There's a lot of it from the work perspective that might be the same, but the the, the life perspective is radically different for, for him and for many, many others, for all of us. Yeah, I think the biggest so change, that jives a lot with what I've done because I've worked from home for six plus years at this point. I enjoy it. It's kind of hard to imagine going back to having a corporate office that I have to go to. Mm -hmm. But even though the workday is feels similar, all the extracurricular, all the social activity that I, my wife, my kid would would participate in is off the table. Mm -hmm. And so they're in the same building I am, you know, bouncing off the walls. Yeah, for me, the biggest yeah. shift of all of this is, you know, like during the summer when you're working from home, the kids are home and that's fine because my, my kids are eight and 11. But during the school year, they're out of the building. They're, they're in another facility. They're being taught by, you know, licensed professional teachers who know what they're doing and now we're licensed we're, professionals and now we're <laughs> in this whole crazy shift of we're trying to do as much of this virtually as possible which takes a lot of interaction from parents to to guide and to retain focus and to keep things moving and the kids of course when you come downstairs to get a cup of coffee or to make a sandwich they see you as oh well you're here and you're another adult i can talk to and they are bored out of their minds as they're looking for any interaction yeah. they can get and so a a 10-minute walk downstairs to get a sandwich turns into a 15-minute conversation about, oh, the dog did this and nothing's going on and I saw this bird outside. And that's where the, the big shift is for me, that suddenly when I'm taking a break from work to stretch my legs to clear my head, I'm not getting a break. It's, it's, no, longer, mm -hmm. um, it's no longer serving as that, that function of walking around and, and thinking. It's now I'm interacting with somebody else and who is desperate for attention. So yeah. it's, we're all balancing this. It's hard. Yeah. Well, with all the virtual learning now, I'm constantly IT support, which is the like you said, you step out of the out of your office room, whatever, and Dad, I can't get video to work for my chat room, or I tried to submit my homework and it didn't go through. What's going on? And it same thing. You spend forever. Me, the biggest shift is physical activity. Is I'm very active. I go to the gym every morning, go to karate in the evenings, and my body is just going, what are you doing sitting on your ass all day, every day, and not exercising anymore? And it's revolting and getting perturbed. And yeah. I'm not mentally handling it well because I feel very, very out of sorts not getting the level of exercise I used to. Yeah, about two weeks ago, I picked up running again. I, I've been running all last summer and kind of into the fall, and then 
was there was some work stress going on and job change stuff and other things happening and I just I let it drop and I realized how much of an impact that was having on me and so about two weeks ago I picked it up again and I said no I'm gonna go run every day at least a mile every day and get physical activity and you know with people not driving anywhere running in the middle of the road like right down the crown of the road is perfectly safe and nobody's nobody's gonna hit me so I go for a 15 20 minute run every day now and that's done wonders for my mental health and my physical health so yeah i've always walked to lunch and usually it's three or four blocks to get to where i want to go for lunch and that gives me that alone mental space to sort of think and process and and be creative and think about that solution that that i'm missing at work and it's not there anymore yeah for me i i, I didn't do a lot of physical activity anyway, like walking it's okay. uh, around. I feel yeah, you. I, no, it, 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 <laughs> I, I am perfectly happy with my sedentary lifestyle for the most part. Uh, however, like, you know, just randomly walking the way that LinkedIn's buildings are spread across, uh, like for me to get from one end of the campus to the other, that's like a mile and a half walk if I really wanted to, or, or a bike ride if I wanted to do that. So that, that was typically what my exercise would primarily consist of getting outside, getting some fresh air, going from building to building and, and going through that multiple times a day. I accidentally end up with a few miles worth of walking just from that. Um, now for the last, whatever, um, seven weeks, let's say, uh, you know, my high point is being able to just say, okay, I'm going to step away from my computer and go sit on my front porch and just watch the sunset. Like that alone has been in the last couple of weeks has been the way that I've looked for, for my, kind of release from everything that's going on occasionally you'll walk the dogs do that sort of thing but they end up just yanking me around too much and i end up with dislocated shoulders more often than anything else so i i, I deal with that uh typically i let my daughter deal with that truthfully uh but it, it is that uh, finding that thing to release from from everybody everything else you know for years i've said that the best part of working from home is the commute is that, you know, I walk upstairs and that's my commute and I don't deal with sitting in traffic or whatever else or other angry drivers. And You still actually go outside the building. I do, I do have to put pants on yeah. to walk yeah. outside because I do have to walk outside. And, you know, there's still our public nudity laws, but it's just. Yeah. It, for me, the, the one thing that I've really missed. So my commute, I, I am a, a bit of an idiot for the commute that I go through. Uh, but I, I live about 75 miles from work. And I door to door, uh, I, I take the train door to door. It's usually about two hours and 10 minutes between the moment I leave the house to the moment I get into the office and vice versa. However, the thing that I am missing the most about it is the structure that it put on me, knowing that there yeah. was a, a time that I was going to start and, and be readily available, a time that I was going to need to stop and stop being readily available in order to make the trains both ways, having that hour and a half plus uh, on the train where I could take a nap, I could read read my Kindle, I could catch up on emails, I can do whatever, but it was relatively me time, put on the headphones, do what I wanted to do during that time. And then by the time I come home, have a few minutes with the wife if I needed to have a call in the evening, uh, grab dinner with her, whatever. That's the thing that I think I've noticed has been really missing is that lack of distinction between what is work time and what is home time and how to actually drive that, that, that uh, separation between the two. I like, the, I, I like how Brendan has his setup where 
it's just a minor thing, but it's a disconnect, keeping the, the two things apart. Um, I, I think I'm more in the same place that Ken and Jack are in, where it's, you know, I, I might walk downstairs, but there's, you know, every so often the gate will open up yeah, and the I dog will run up here. It, my <laughs> office is just kind of the third bedroom. And... Yep. Yeah. I'm just using the spare bedroom. And yeah. it's the kids will walk down the hall and say, hey, Dad, can you check my homework? Exactly. Uh, I'm on a call. Oh, well, can you check my homework? <laughs> <laughs> Come on, Dad, this is improv. It's yes and. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and that was I, when I worked out of my wife's studio. That was the greatest thing because I was physically detached. I It got me to, I went to work. Mm-hmm. I was the only one there. <laughs> you know, she used it only on weekends for shoots. It was my space to work. And it was fantastic. And I miss it. And I, I too, am envious of Brendan having to go outside because it's, it's, he's so close that he's still there for emergencies, but it puts that barrier. There's that physical separation. That's right. It's fantastic. You actually think about it, thinking about it this way, the kids having virtual school now, the the online school, having a fixed time that starts in the morning has been very helpful. Um, In the first couple of weeks that we were doing the social distancing, lockdown, quarantine, whatever it's called these days, it was very amorphous. We'd get up in the morning, and when the kids got up, they'd make breakfast and settle into, you know, reading comics or watching TV or playing on the Switch or whatever it was and just sort of stumble through their day. And very quickly, the kids realized that they could sleep until 9 or 10 o'clock in the morning, and we were going to leave them alone because, you know, it's, this is all these new weird rules. Mm-hmm. But now, no, they have to be on the call with with their class at, you know, a fixed time in the morning. So, you know, you do the math backwards to say, okay, we well, have to be up by this time and fed by this time. And, yeah. okay, well, now you got you have to get up at 8 or you have to get up at 745, which gives me that structure back of, okay, well, I'm up and I'm going to make coffee for the wife and I'm going to feed the dogs and take them out, take them out to use the bathroom and come back in and get the kids moving and just sort of, it gives me that rhythm in, in the morning that, that I so desperately need. I, I can't yeah. do the, oh, we'll, we'll just wing it. Because yeah. that, that just kills me. Yeah, I think that's the thing that I, I like I said, I, I miss that the most. I, I don't miss waking up super early to catch that train, but I miss what that train represented. Like it was that separation and, and being able to establish, get into the mindset of work, get out of the mindset of work. And having having the, the structure, exactly like you described, the, there's a schedule that I need to be on. And so this is when I can do the things that I think I need to do versus the things that I have to do versus the things I want to do. And it also frees you in the evenings to say, no, I'm not at work anymore. I'm, I'm done with that. I'm, I'm in my personal life, not in my work life. And if somebody calls me from work and it's really important, I can help them. But everybody has an understanding that we're keeping this as short as possible because we're invading on your personal life and it's my personal life. But when everybody works from home and they're not following those etiquette procedures, work just becomes everything. And that's yeah. not sustainable or healthy. Yep. Absolutely. Yeah. I recently got done with a contract of where I was the only East coaster and they really couldn't grasp that. No, it's five o'clock. I'm done. But we have a meeting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's nice. <laughs> this is a contract yeah. that has hours written into it. I'm done. Yeah. Little things. And Again, this is the big learning that I think has come out of this for me and for for us as a company as well as a much clearer understanding of what it takes to actually operate with each other when everything is blurred. 
like how, how do you create how do you create a work environment that doesn't just turn into 24 by 7. The, the, those first few weeks, the, it was, at least for me, because uh, I was trying to help get all the, the different regions set up and working with my regional leaders to, to take care of their part of the business and helping them out. They were 12, 16-hour days every day, um, enough times where, you know, my wife would come to me and, and say, hey, you know, are you going to come out for lunch? And it's 3 p.m. And I'd been on calls from... 6 a.m. all the way through, and I just didn't even know. Um, That's rough. Those are the sort. Of, it, it it was in one side. Like, I've been trying to articulate this because I, I feel like I want to write about it, but I I've been trying to articulate this, and it, it it felt like the most energized that I had been in probably 20 years of work. Um, the last time I feel I remember feeling this way was when I was uh, working for Lucent when it was spinning off of Aya back in 2000 and 2001 it was a lot of decisions just like the, the the energy of it was really really motivating but like by the end of the day you i'm just mush and and it's time to kind of figure out what comes next after those first few weeks for me i had to take a step back and i mentioned earlier we were talking about uh, you know facial hair those first two, three weeks, I let my beard out. I, I let it, I normally just have a goat and I let it out. T-shirts and shorts every day. And whereas normally in the office, I, I would wear a button up. Um, and I realized that I needed to change something because otherwise I was going to, my mental state wasn't, wasn't steady. Um, and so I put it in that I'm going to go back to my normal, you know, head uh, trimming uh, regimen, my shaving regimen go back to wearing like a normal shirt that I would wear to work just as a way for me to recognize that I'm going to do something. And then that way on the weekends, t-shirts and shorts feel back like I'm back to a normal state, whatever more normal looks like right now. But pants are still optional, little right? Hey, listen, you know, that's why I tell the kids, just be careful when they walk out. Don't expect me to push back in the chair. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> so I have a question that maybe you're in an interesting position to answer. There's been a lot of IT professionals like all of us that have found themselves out of a job. Mm -hmm. What do you think, you know, maybe from a personal perspective or a perspective at LinkedIn, what's the environment going to look for as far as new hires, rebuilding uh, employment um, for, for IT companies, for the economy? What do you think that's going to look like as we sort of come out of this? I won't, try and explain it on LinkedIn's perspective and behalf because I'm not that smart. I, I will give you my <laughs> insight. I, I will give you I'm my sorry, ideas. I didn't go for or, easy questions. Yeah. Uh, I, I will give you my ideas of what I think will happen. Um, I, I feel like probably the next six to 18 months are going to be extremely difficult. Uh, until there's a vaccine out, I think that nobody, no company is going to be interested in trying to expand very rapidly. Uh, there's so much uncertainty looking at it from the perspective of like, what does it take me to bring on a new employee? Uh, and not just the recruiting aspect of it. Like you've signed a contract, you are going to, uh, you've signed a letter of intent. You are going to join the company from an onboarding perspective. How do I get, make sure that the benefits are available to you? How do I make sure that the equipment can get to you? Uh, all of that sort of thing. I think that there's going to be a huge pause in this. 
Now, the, the other side of it is that I also expect that at some point it's going to explode in recovery. Um, and, and it's just this, nobody knows uh, how long it's going to be before we get there. I was like taking it outside of the, the world of IT workers and, and employment in general, but I was reading an article earlier today about Vegas and what's going to happen with Vegas as it comes back. And how do you prepare to bring a Vegas back online? And, and they were talking about, you know, you would expect that there would still be masks. It would be a thing. But then in a place like Vegas, how do you actually allow people at tables with masks on, considering facial recognition is such a big deal? <laughs> and how do you track, like, people coming in and going? You know, historically, masks have always uh, kind of connotated, like, evil intent like bandanas and that sort of stuff. But now it's like an everyday norm. But how do you, what's the perception of people inside? And I think the, the, the line that they used in this article was, you know, you typically don't want to strike fear in a place where people are walking around with huge sums of money. And that's what a mask would do in a place like that. And so you think about what are some of these decisions that companies, casinos, society is going to have to make about what is going to be acceptable in the future? What is going to be the growth going to look like in the future? As it relates to employment, bringing it back around to the IT side, you know, I think a lot of companies are going through this right now of trying to understand what is the bare minimum they need in this moment in order to continue operations? And then when can they start expanding? Right now, I think a lot of companies are just trying to stay alive and they're just trying to stay steady. Now, that might mean furloughing people, that might mean layoffs, but they don't know what it's going to look like and when it's going to look like it's time to bring those people back to continue the growth pattern. That's where I think the, the real uncertainty of everything comes. I, I'm hoping that it's all centered around like how quickly can we get a vaccine in place so that way people feel comfortable returning and we can return small businesses, as well as like megacorps to relative full staffing and growth instead of uh, sustaining, but sustaining life. I don't know that there's a, that's really an answer to the question that you asked, but like it's, this, it's, it's a big unknown that I think really is focused on how quickly can we get to feeling like we're not losing this battle against this virus. Yeah. Well, especially the current news that I'm reading is suggesting that we are 8, 12, 16 months from getting back to kind of life as we knew it. That it's going to be a long, in the phase re reduction in restrictions, a, a long-term slow process because the vaccine won't be available for a, for a good long time. It, it takes right. time to test and time to validate and then time to produce and distribute. And it's and one thing to have a vaccine. It's another thing completely to be able to vaccinate. I mean, look Correct. at our success at being able to test. Correct. So if it, if it takes 12 months and we're slowly, you know, three or four or 5% a month opening things back up as we get better control over testing and better control over understanding and we normalize, say, the use of masks everywhere and we do mm -hmm. lots of little small steps, it's going to feel really weird the day that they say, no, we're, we're back to, to normal normal and because like, especially for like for, for kids these days, they're going to remember this this time period in their life is going to be indelible on them. And they will all mm -hmm. be talking about this 20 years from now saying, so what'd you guys do for quarantine? Because yeah. globally, 
at the same time, pretty much everybody's doing the same thing. And so this is how I have one of those markers on life. Yeah. And hopefully it it binds us together as, as a human civilization. Yeah. I think that's the, the big thing that this reminds us of how tightly we're wound together, right? That nothing that can happen in one location won't have an impact somehow around the globe. That's that's my hope as well out of this. I, I look at this as the the reminder that that we are absolutely all in this together, and we have to figure out ways to work with each other through things like this. Please take the time to rate the show on Overcast, Apple Podcasts, or your favorite podcast directory. It's the best way for new listeners to find us. Additionally, welcome feedback about shows we've recorded or topics you'd like us to cover. Leave us a comment on the website at operations.fm. Send us your thoughts on email, feedback at operations.fm, or use at operations.fm on Twitter. Ashi, I want to thank you again for coming on as a guest. This means a lot in terms of your perspective and your ability to share this with us, and it was a delight having you yeah, on. thanks a bunch, Ashi. Yeah, yeah of course. It. That wraps it up for a special episode of the Practical Operations Podcast. I'm Brendan Diesendorf. I'm Ken Mink. I'm Jack Neely. And I'm Ashi Shah. Thanks, and good night. Pants are optional. <laughs>